Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, hosting as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined today by Paul. Good evening. And Khan. Hello. Uh, hope you've had a, a good weekend, gentlemen. Paul, I had visions of you swinging around um, your your light fitting with the, the NFL game on uh, Saturday night. I, I don't know if I was swinging around anything, Dan. I was, I, I mean, I, I think I died and came back to life about three times in the in the fourth quarter of that Bills game. Um, it was uh, it was uh, the epitome of not doing it easy, but um, the right result. And uh, Baltimore next week. Well, I, I watched the, um, the, the the Saints game. Uh, I mean, New Orleans Saints, not Saints Allen. There's too many Saints in my life. And um, I, I saw that there was a Nickelodeon broadcast of the yeah, Saints that, game. And that's right. That's something we've not yet tried in the Premier League, isn't well, it? Well, I was just going to say, can, can we not send Robbie Savage and Steve McManaman to the Nickelodeon version of, of football commentary? <laughs> can, we, can we not get them covered in gunge every time there's a goal? Yeah, it was sort of NFL mixed with Noel's house party. <laughs> yeah, and there was a few people who uh, could qualify as Mr. Blobby, I think, in that um, <laughs> that Chicago offence. But before I get myself in trouble and start talking about something that I don't know a great deal about, we'll uh, we'll swing to the football. Um, gents, in my opinion, we need to stop this season. Uh, I don't mean void it, because that would be financial suicide, but I think... The, the, we'll come more specifically onto the FA Cup uh, a little bit because there's quite a few things I want to mention. But I, I have real concerns about the viability of continuing football with con- increasing infection rates. We've got the crazy situation where Celtic have got 13 positives, but because they're responsible for their own downfall by going to Dubai in the first place, they're being made to play tonight. Um, uh, wh- wh- where do we go from here? Apart from, in my opinion, we need to have a, a little bit of a circuit breaker, a, a two or three week gap, and that's from someone who imbibes himself with all of the football all the time. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's getting close to that point, Dan. I really do. And and we've said, sort of, generally said on these podcasts, let's hope we don't get there. Let's hope we don't get there. I think we're pretty close to it now. Um, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon will be so pleased with the Celtic situation because uh, <laughs> she was very critical of their decision to go to Dubai. She didn't think that was in keeping with the reason that there's the exemption for elite sport. Um, and they've come back and it seems as though it's going to shoot, shoot themselves in the in the foot somewhat. So, um, yeah, they, they, they maybe should have listened to the, the politicians on that one. Um I think, you know, you look at the number of uh, cases, we've now got this Premier League game that Spurs should have been playing, Villa, Villa can't play, and it's just like you're scouting around the local park for a team who hasn't got a game, um, and Fulham happened to be there, uh, so, so Spurs are now going to play Fulham, which was postponed a couple of weeks ago, Um you know, we've still got the situation in Newcastle. I know Steve Bruce has been quite vocal, but Alan San Maxim has, has actually missed quite a lot of football from having what seems like a pretty strong COVID attack. You know, he seems to have taken really quite quite unwell with it. Um, and again, this is a young prime age athlete uh, and it's, it's knocked him off his feet sufficiently that he's, he's not played football in five or six weeks so um i think we do need to start to think about whether continuing is is the right course uh we'll get on to what happened with the the fa cup of the weekend um shortly but uh 
the the sort of the the postponement and rearrangement of fixtures in the Premier League, while it feels like a sort of sensible, pragmatic step as a one-off for this midweek. Okay, you can't play Villa, but there's this game against Fulham that got postponed, and neither of you have got a fixture. Let's schedule that. I don't think that's something that the Premier League can keep doing. We can't keep getting to Wednesday and then changing the fixtures for that coming weekend. That's not viable. So, um, you know, I, I think they're going to go ahead with this this set of midweek fixtures. Let's see where we are as a country by the end of the week. The Prime Minister's talked again today about the fact that uh, restrictions might need to get tighter. But I, I think there's probably a decision coming up for the Premier League either before this weekend or if not before this weekend, then immediately after this weekend set of fixtures. Um, and I think I'm starting to, to come to the same conclusion that you did, Dan, which is we probably need to take a pause for two or three weeks and see where we are. And I know that causes loads of problems down the line with scheduling and the Euros and things we've talked about previously. But I, I think it's coming to the point where that might be the best solution. Yeah, and, and, and do you think... Where's the decision going to come? You know, is is it going to be a decision that the, the Premier League makes, or, or or you know, do you even think it should be sort of taken out of their hands, or do you think that's likely that you know? I know obviously elite elite sports, as it's known, uh, has has this sort of exemption, but um, you know, do do you think the, the the government might wade in and say, you know, actually we're we're making the decision for you that you know this this can't continue. Um, so I don't know so we didn't viable. yeah we didn't have to get there did we last time because if you remember what happened was that that Cheltenham week as I'll ever uh, forever remember it because I was I was <laughs> off at the festival um th- that Cheltenham week I think uh Hudson Adoy got got tested positive didn't he from Chelsea on on maybe the Wednesday and then the Thursday night the news came that Mikel Arteta had tested positive and on the Friday morning the Premier League made the decision to pause the season it wasn't until the following Monday that we started to move towards a national lockdown as a country I think Boris did that first speech on the Monday evening where he told people to work from home and then it was that Friday so sort of a week after the Premier League had suspended uh, and football, I think, across the Football League took the decision on the same day. Um, and it was a week after that that we formally went into the first national lockdown. Uh, at the moment, it doesn't look as though the Premier League wants to take a decision. But uh, as I say, it may get to the point where by the end of the week, as a country, we're in a position that, that a decision kind of gets forced upon them. I'm sure they're talking to the um, the Department for Digital Culture Media and for some reason also sport. Um, uh, I'm, I'm sure there are conversations happening on a, a daily basis. Um, I, I worked on DCMS for a little bit and I know that they, they have good uh, relationships with the governing bodies. So I'm sure those conversations are, are taking place. Um, but but I, I think it would be preferable, Khan, to answer your question if the Premier League came to the decision of its own back as it did in, in March rather than it appearing to be a, a decision the government's forced on them yes no no I, I i agree i think i think it's it's time to be sort of grow, grown up about it and realize that this is just a, a bigger issue than football <laughs> um you know and, and in line with with how the rest of the country is uh, is being restricted i think you know sport needs to to follow suit um as as frustrating as it might be as you know as, as dan was saying as, as football fans who you know it's, it's about the only sort of entertainment we've we've got at the moment or something that reminds us of, of normal life um despite the empty stadiums it's 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 you know it's nice to have it and i think you know we'll we'll miss it 
but yeah, there's some things that are a bit bigger than than football. Not many, but um, you know, I think that <laughs> the state that we're in at the moment, you know, it is it is really bad, and it's it's actually probably likely to get worse further before it gets better. Unfortunately, I think that's just the stark reality that we're facing, and yeah, it's getting to a point where it's it's becoming increasingly difficult to justify. Um, sort of football carrying on as if as if nothing else is happening, and with with the increased increased uh, restrictions coming in around you know clubs having to change fixtures um, and things happening at the last minute and people testing positive all, all over the place, it just doesn't really seem viable to, to to keep continuing with it for the moment. So I think the question is you know actually going to be well is it a is it a two week circuit breaker or is it like last time where it becomes that indefinite pausing yeah. um, or or will they do sort of a you know, we'll do it for two weeks and assess and do it from there. I'm not sure. Um, I suppose that's something that would have to see. But I think we, we probably do need some some decisive action, um, you know, fairly soon um, on this. Because, uh, yeah, it is getting to a pretty pretty dire situation. And, and, and it is just worth saying for, for anyone who hasn't seen it today that the Scottish Football League below the championship has already suspended. Um, so Leagues 1 and Leagues 2 in Scotland uh of of taking the decision today that they that they've suspended, um, obviously the championship and the Scottish Scottish Premier League will continue for the time being, but again when we talked about this, I think it was a fortnight ago, we talked about the fact that, you know, from that round of fixtures after Christmas, the um, the football league had I think sort of seven postponements between leagues one and league two, and and again, the conversation that we're having now about the Premier League is one thing. But it's even more stark when you get down to those lower levels because they don't have the same level of resources to kind of manage things in the way that the Premier League clubs can. Um, and I think it will become increasingly the case that we we see postponements at that level. And and what we're going to be left with if we if we're not careful is a situation where there's such a disjointed number of fixtures been played between different teams that organising a restart becomes difficult. You know, if you've got a situation where by the time you restart the season, some teams are four games behind somebody else, which which there is in League One and League Two, where teams have had games postponed and then other teams, I think Crew, we were 3-0 up at the weekend and drew 3 all, which which was a bit frustrating. But, um, but had they won that game, they'd gone seventh. And I was thinking, seventh? But they'd have gone seventh having played three more games than pretty much everyone around them. Um, and again, I, I think that starts to become a problem if you're looking at, OK, let's have a, a shorter break and then try and restart the season. So um, I, I think a decision point is going to come. We heard, I imagine everybody heard what, what Chris Whitty said this morning. He was all over the BBC News media telling us that the next two or three weeks are probably going to be the worst of the whole pandemic. So, um, you know, I, I think football has to has to be sensible. Well, it's got it's got a duty of care to its participants as much as anything else. Well, what I was just about to say was that um, whatever Nicola Sturgeon decides, Boris Johnson will do two days later. So if um, there's trouble in Scotland, then I would in- indicate that there's going to be trouble in in the Premier League in a couple of days. Yeah, I, I, I think I think there is a decision that's going to have to come. Um, and I, I mean that we wanted to talk, didn't we, Dan, about about the FA Cup and the fact that. You know, it, it's one thing in the FA Cup, uh, and everyone thinks the FA Cup's a, a grand old competition, but it is, it, you know, it has lost some of its luster. It's one thing when Aston Villa basically have to forfeit their FA Cup campaign on third round day. 
by by playing the you know the under twelves or whoever it was against against Liverpool. Um, we we saw Derby you know end up going into a game against Chorley as the underdogs because everyone knew that Derby were in the same situation having to play their youth team. In the Premier League, it's quite different when you've got a situation where there's so much money at stake for being in the Premier League. Team, it, it can't become a lottery depending on who's got people out from COVID. You know that clubs just will not buy that. You can't have a situation where Premier League games are turned into a lottery depending on who has or hasn't got positive tests. Well, uh, we, there's just too much money involved. We've heard a lot of squawking about the integrity of the competition. But that absolutely is the case. If you've got a game one week where uh, West Ham are playing Liverpool and West Ham have a full team out and then in the next midweek there's a load of COVID positive tests and they have to put out a, a reserve team against Manchester City, that's that's that, that's completely undermining the integrity of the competition. Hello? Sorry, I couldn't get myself off mute. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's right, Dan. I think that's right. Um, and, and as you say, there were lots of discussions about integrity of the competition around um, the restart originally for, for the last season. But but it, that that's as nothing compared to a situation like the one you've just described where uh, how difficult a game is really depends on which day you play it. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. It's, um, it's a difficult situation. There's no right answer, but I, I don't think muddling on especially when we're due the, the worst weeks of the pandemic as as you said and, and i really don't like to make this the covid cast but it's a, a fundamental issue that we can't ignore the premier league will try to ignore it uefa absolutely definitely will try and ignore it um and the the olympics committee will also try and ignore it but we've got we're, we're sailing into problems and I, I don't see how we can't not have a pause just to take a break and say right let's Try and get Premier League infections down. Let's try and get Football League infections down. And and obviously, as as Khan has already rightly said, there are bigger things in life than football. There's you know there's, there's over a thousand people dying every day at the moment, heartbreaking. Yeah, and and I think just just linked to that as well, as well, Dan is obviously you know we we need to sort of get our house in order in the sense that you know not every country is you know every country is dealing with it in different ways, and every every country has different scale of of a problem as well. So. You know, and I'm not in any way trying to stick up for UEFA or whatever. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, it, equally, we're one country that might be in a competition. You know, um, or, or potentially a couple of countries, as, as you know, as England and Scotland and so on, players as separate nations. But um, you know, they'll obviously take a broader view and similar with you know, say the Olympics, for example. Um, you know, there's there's hundreds of countries um, that that compete in that. So. We have to kind of focus on our our local issues, and we're you know there's there's other countries that have haven't dealt with it brilliantly either, and have you know similar similar sort of volumes. There are other countries that have dealt with it brilliantly and a sort of almost, if not entirely, back to normal. Um, but we're definitely one of the ones that have dealt with it badly, and that and are feeling the con, you know, and are well, I, I don't even mean that as a, as, a, as a joke, really. Unfortunately, it, 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 it it's fact. But, um, but yeah, and, and, and as a result, now we we're facing you know the, the sort of the wor- you know the sort of the worst end of the consequences, um, which is why we're having to, to sort of take these you know take these uh, further measures of you know bit, you know more restrictions and uh, lockdowns and pausing things and so on. Um, so you know I'm sure we won't be the only country going through this because of the time of year and so on. It's always a 
you know these it's always a strain on people's health in in sort of the middle of winter um and covid is obviously just making that you know far far worse um so i'm sure other countries will be feeling the pinch as well um but yeah equally i think at the moment we we sort of have to look at yeah just specifically what's what's within our control which is you know the premier league and the football league from from a you know purely footballing perspective um and then i think when when the dust has settled then the, the bigger organizations can take that wider view of like well okay how's how's it actually looking on balance you know do do we think we're able to have you know this tournament or whatever i mean i still think it's yeah feels unrealistic that things like the the euros and the olympics will go ahead but it's it's like I say those those uh organizing bodies will will wait until the very last minute before they have to cancel or postpone anything as we've as we've sort of talked about before uh, what you're basically trying to say can with regards to other countries is that america might as well have let that qa non shaman in charge and he would have done a better <laughs> job probably yeah before we go down um, the dangerous rabbit hole of politics i'll um I'll move on to the FA Cup. Particularly American politics. Particularly Dan, American. to definitely stay off. Yeah. Um, keep away from from tasers or flags that say don't tread on me. Um, they're particularly lethal at the moment in uh, in riots. Um, I'll probably edit this out, to be honest. <laughs> for, for my own safety. I don't want a visit from QAnon. Um <laughs> JK, <laughs> as he's also known. Yeah, JK. Yeah. Um, so if we, I, I kind of like already mentioned the FA Cup, and you, you've you've touched on the the games at Chorley and uh, at Villa Park. Um, certainly, Martin Keown describing um, Aston Villa European Cup winners against Liverpool, and, and Villa being one all at half time with Liverpool as Roy of the Rovers stuff. Um, was a bit of an exaggeration, but um, I think the, th- the third round, I don't know, it felt a bit a bit magical in places. Actually, as as you said, Paul, the, the FA Cup has undoubtedly lost a bit of its spark. I think it should have been abandoned for this season, just this season, just for the reason that the, the, the Carling Cup should have been as well. Um, too much football, too much football, not enough time to squeeze it all in. But you, do you know what? It was lovely to see. Um, Jose Mourinho being stalked by cardboard cutouts of Jurgen Klopp, and um, you know it, it was it, it, nice to see um, um, Crawley outplay Leeds and really, really deserve to to beat a team like three leagues above them. You know, like, there was some of the, the the magic of the FA Cup. You had the the fiasco of um, of Derby County basically being bullied into a set piece goal, which you, you knew was going to be how Charlie made the breakthrough. Um, but as you say, Charlie were favourites with the bookies for that match, and it was just a, a strange mixed bag. But it's it's strange because I, I wanted to to say it's a, a fiasco, but there were some really good things. I mean, poor Marine. Who who knows when they'll next play again? But they'll not forget that one anytime soon. Yeah, no, I'm. I, I, I mean, it's your neck of the woods, Dan. So I, I don't know if you've ever been to Marine. I've been a couple of times, but um. Uh, a num well a long long time ago now um and it it was great to see marine play in the in the third round proper the fa cup uh against against spurs i mean it, the the disparity in ability now is such that the days when you could have a, a real true giant killing and a you know Sutton United knocked out Coventry City and that sort of thing, you, you just I don't think you're ever going to see those sorts of days again. And and certainly, Marina are quite a bit lower down than than, than Sutton were there so, uh, at, that, at that time. So 
the the scoreline was always an inevitability, but it, it was still a great day. And you know, anyone who's been involved with a Marine Football Club will will remember that for a long, long time. You know, the day that Tottenham Hotspur came and played at Marine, um, it's a huge, huge moment for them. And as you say, Dan, they've ba- barely played any football for a couple of months. So, um, yeah, it, it, it had some of that. The fantastic performance and result by Crawley. I thought they utterly deserved to beat Leeds. Completely outplayed them. Um, so that you know, there are some there are some stories there that will make for this this double draw that we're having this evening, oh, where yeah, they're drawing the, the fourth round yeah. and the fifth round together or something, which is again feels that doesn't feel like the FA Cup should be to me. And you know, I like the days when the the FA Cup draw was a, a sort of a bit of an event and and doing the fourth round and then immediately pulling out either oars for the fifth round doesn't doesn't feel to me like the magic of the cup but there we are um you know it's still a, it's still a good competition i think we've still seen even in relatively recent memory some some great stories of of teams winning it you know wiggins the one that always springs to mind and i know you won't think that that was great dan but you know <laughs> a, a club like wigan having beating manchester city in an fa cup final you know the, it has still provided some moments but i think inevitably these days what ends up happening is the big clubs try and get through the first few rounds by playing sort of you know rotational teams and then if they get to the quarterfinal of the FA Cup and their season's not looking great in other areas um, that's where all the attention goes and you know my own team benefited from that last season and I suspect that's where we'll end up again um, not just Arsenal but 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 the bigger teams generally will will do again this year uh, but it is still nice to have those stories of the Marines and the Chorleys and the and the Crawleys in in those early rounds because that's part of part of what English football is based on. Well, ju- just before you, you come in, Carl, what one other performance that I forgot to mention that I wanted to was uh, Newport um, lost on penalties to Brighton, but they, they conceded an injury time goal um, with which I think you could see the relief on Mr Mason's face as he didn't fancy extra time, only for them to go up the other end and, um, and equalise themselves and then Lee Mason had to wobble his way through another 30 minutes and was quite breathless by the end. Um, so, yeah, Newport, have, obviously walking were a much lower level, but Newport seems to be the, the, the new walking. The, they're always up for the cup. Yeah, they've had some good good cup days over the last couple of years and, you know, have done well as a club to get themselves where they are. And they're having a good season in the league as well. Um, I didn't think that was an easy game on paper for Brighton. And, and so it proved, even though, as you say, they ended up, they ended up coming through on penalties. Yeah, just from my side, guys, I haven't, I unfortunately, didn't get to see a lot of the games this weekend, so I've not been able to jump in too much. Um, I did see a little bit of the uh, the Tottenham game, and uh, yeah, I think, like you say, it's, it's, it's about sort of having the, particularly given that, that Marine hadn't barely played, it, it's sort of about having the occasion, and I think they still sort of rose to it, even if the scoreline, you know, was obviously quite emphatic. I think given the v- huge gulf between them, I think you can still say, you know, they, they, they absolutely did themselves proud as a as a team and a club. And it's you know as you say, Paul, that is kind of what the the, you know, the FA Cup is is about. Even if you don't get as many of those sort of genuine giant killings as as we perhaps used to get, just just seeing you know teams at complete polar ends of the football pyramid, it's only the FA Cup where you get that, and that is its kind of mm-hmm. you know sort of selling point still. Really, you know, mm-hmm. it's because uh, we have a much much deeper football pyramid than any other country still. Um, mm. And and still are probably the only country to have a competition that that allows 
teams at all those levels to potentially be pitted against each other. So, you know, it does still kind of have that that uniqueness to it that does make it special. Um, even, you know, I know it can sometimes be undermined by selections or whatever, but it, it, it actually this this weekend in amongst all the COVID nonsense and so on, actually almost did feel like a little bit of a throwback, you know, particularly the lead, you know, the Leeds game, as you mentioned, you know, there were some results in there that really did catch the eye. Um, it actually probably is one of the more interesting third round weekends. Um, how much of that you can put down to COVID versus just general chance. <laughs> I don't, we might never know, but um, just on the Spurs game, um, I didn't realise Spurs had signed the reincarnation of Ruud van Nistelrooy because uh, <laughs> Vinicius, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, did the, the old Ruud van Nistelrooy thing of even when the ball's one yard away from the goal, kicking it into the back of the net as hard as he possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two absolute tappings for his first two goals, but he leathered the ball in from a yard out both times. Can I just point uh, out... Maybe he's heard about dodgy uh, lower league pitches and he just wanted to make <laughs> sure that... Uh... <laughs> Well, he didn't hit a divot and go over the crossbar or something. <laughs> well, th- there was no, um, there was nobody jumping on his back trying to instigate a riot. Unfortunately, that would have been quite amusing. Because that's, <laughs> no. that, that's the only no. thing I ever think of Ruud van Nistelrooy right now being well, being, being jumped kept, on by Martin Keogh, be, being pressed down <laughs> by, by Martin Keogh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I I still think of him first and foremost. I think it was even. I think it was from his Man U debut, which I think was against Fulham, if I'm not mistaken. And he scored from inside the six-yard box a tap-in, and he absolutely leathered it. Um, there was no danger in missing. And uh, now whenever I see a player do that, I, my mind's always just drawn back to, to Ruud van Nistelrooy. And so, of course, yeah, I'm, I think, you know, I think, like you say, there were some moments this weekend, and, and the FA Cup still just does have that, that ability to, uh, to shine, even if it isn't quite the competition it was. I've also had, while you were talking about the, the fourth and fifth round draws, I've, I've actually had a, rad, a radical idea for how they could have deal, dealt with the, the cup competitions this season. And I'll tell you now very quickly, put everyone's name into the hat who's eligible, draw two of them out, that's the final, <laughs> and then award it to the winner. So you've, done, you've, you've had the competition, you've got a winner, job done. No, no, you don't need hundreds of games of football. So, so what if... Manchester City will play Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> at Wembley. <laughs> yeah. And Manchester City can be fined if they feel the weakened team. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Surely get a 10 goal head start. <laughs> I mean, that, that's radical, even for, even for this podcast, I think, Con. <laughs> What what next? Well, you know, it, reduces, it reduces the gaze. It means the sponsors still get you know get the uh, get the the showpiece final. It, it could it could work. <laughs> what, what, what next? Can are we going to go full year two thousand? Have a wild card? A Darlington busy? <laughs> are we going to just, just reinstate Darlington? Darlington. <laughs> Didn't they end up playing Villa in the in I the wild card round? I think they did, and that would have been a buy for Manchester United anyway, given the fact that the Villa and Manchester United is just a, a, a Manchester United win. Well, they used to, Man United used to beat Villa in the FA Cup every year in the 90s anyway, so even if they had played that game that Darlington ended up getting back in as the lucky loser for. And there was that chap, wasn't there, who was the Darlington chairman at the time, who I think later had some financial irregularities, but he was a bit of a character. Um, I do remember that now. Yeah, goodness gracious, that was. I mean, at the time, I, 
I, I don't remember being that exercised about the Man United skipping the FA Cup to go and play in the World Cup Championship thing. But when I look back now about what were the kind of milestones along the road to the FA Cup becoming a less special competition, I think that does have to go in the list. Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem is um, the league is worth so much money. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that money is is the big issue because you know, like as you've you've said, the the the, the big six, if you will, kind of stumble through the first few rounds of the cup. It's it's a and um and then they see where they stand later in the season. If they get knocked out, then yeah, let's concentrate on the Champions League or let's concentrate on the Europa League and try and win that and get into the Champions League and so on and so forth. I think the biggest problem with the FA Cup, and I kind of touched on this, I think, last week, for me, Paul, is when the third round is, because yeah. it's just after that manic run at Christmas when you've... I mean, it's, it's different this year, but you know, you, you play like three games in a week and mm-hmm. you, you're looking at, at, at rotating and you're looking and you're playing, with all due respect to any team that randomly comes out of my head, Liverpool are going to play a crew... And Liverpool are going to say, right, well, we need to, to heavily rotate here. And it kind, mm. it kind of just takes the shine off it. Yeah, and then it becomes the, th- the whole thing about, you know, you play your cup goalie. I mean, I hate that idea that you have a cup goalie. Given that it's Adrian, um, so do I. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I think I think it's it's true, Dan. It, 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 the timing is part of it. And, and we've talked before about the fact that, you know, Klopp and Guardiola in the past have tended to, I mean, Guardiola always does, tended to almost prioritise the League Cup a bit more because it just fits the timetable a little bit better for for the course of the season. It doesn't mess with your knockout rounds in the Champions League and uh, and all that sort of thing. So it, it it is something that the FA Cup will have to consider. I think, I'm not sure there's that much... I mean, we've seen it this year that there isn't a lot of grounds to, to move it around. And there never really is because, as we've already alluded to, the FA Cup starts in August. Um, it starts basically the second weekend of the football season. In fact, I know when I've coached non-league and played non-league in the past, and the weekend that the Premier League kicks off, you're playing an FA Cup game. Um, which is crazy to Premier League fans who sort of think of the FA Cup, that thing that starts in January. Um but I've I've played an FA Cup game on on the first day of the Premier League season, so um, you know that 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 definitely is a is a different perspective, and it means you can't bring it that much further forward, and you haven't got that much room to move it back because of the final. But I agree with the point, Dan. The, the timing, especially these days when everyone's about sports science and monitoring workloads on players and, and you know knowing when players are in the red zone rather than the old-fashioned way where the manager would just have a look at, at them in training and see if they looked a bit tired. Uh, it, it does all factor in, I think, to that, that heavy rotation that you tend to see in the third round. Next thing I wanted to, to talk about, guys, I've just seen a newspaper report in The Guardian today. Um, clubs are getting a little bit twitchy about um, the renewal of the TV rights, which is about to to start gathering momentum, and obviously we have the uncertainty of of COVID, and our TV company companies going to offer less money per game, or you know, like our Amazon going to come in and make it all of the football all the time. Um, you know, like what 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 do you think? Um, do, do you think that we're going to be? Do you think COVID is going to have a big a negative impact on on this? Well, we we talk, actually, I say we talked about it 
you guys talked about it on one of the podcasts I couldn't join, I think, around, uh, you know, a, 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 well, a couple of months back now around around the TV rights. I think it was around the time of the, you know, Project Land Grab and all that. I think it was on, on a very, very good discussion that you had that I remember listening to. Um, but I think it we was we, when they were doing those silly pay-per-view games as well. Those additional pay-per-view games. Of course, games. yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, they've just, they've just vanished with no uh, no further mention. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I think you know that with with the last deal, you know, the, I think the, the the per game price had been had gone down a little bit, and I think you know we said, in fact, it might have been one of the ones I was on where we were saying how. Um, because BT came in with that ridiculous bid the, the first time they came in, it sort of inflated them. And then the last set of rights was sort of a slight redressing the balance and bringing it to normality. So whilst this one might be, probably will be a little bit lower, um, certainly the per game price, I'm sure, will undoubtedly be lower, whether it's a lower overall figure. I don't know, because it depends how many matches they include in it. But um, again, we might still just see it perhaps coming back to a more realistic valuation rather than it being sort of overinflated through through competition. Um, I think the thing that could change that is, and I think we spoke about this before as well, is are other players going to come into, into it? Um, or are some of the existing players... Um, people like Amazon going to come in for more of it, and is that could that trigger um, a bit more of a bidding war? Um, and you know, will other people like you know, I don't know, YouTube or Facebook or whoever, you know, all these other big tech companies, you know, will they decide to actually um, enter in, you know, enter the fray and get and get involved or not? Um, so I think that's maybe the thing to keep an eye on. Is um, yeah, will the uh, you know, will will there be more competition from uh, particularly if? You know, it, it, it's a difficult one because we don't know how long this current situation is going to go on. But obviously, at the moment, with so many, you know, with so many games being gone, it's 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 potentially a good way for companies to sort of get people to, you know, adopt their products a bit. So it makes me think maybe more of these tech companies might be thinking, you know, hang on a minute, everyone's watching, you know, football on Amazon, <laughs> you know, um, who were previously never known for for that. So it, it, you know, they've kind of shown it can be done. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if some of these more, you know, sort of modern digital first sort of players come in as opposed to just the traditional broadcast networks um but uh, but then equally you know the the you know the likes of bt and sky will obviously be thinking about their subscription prices and you know if people start to if we go into a recession and people are strapped for cash you know they're potentially the things that people might not be uh you know might not be wanting to pay so they obviously don't want to be lumbered with paying out billions for something if they're not then of course making that revenue back so it'll be it will be an interesting one i think that's for sure um i think like i say there's a few factors in there um it's a difficult one to call but uh yeah we'll have to see see how it goes but yeah but paul dan be, be good to hear your thoughts as well of course yeah i i think one of the interesting things is um and i think the guardian article you you are referring to dan mentioned it as well was that when BT first came into the market, they came in as a disruptor. And, and football was very much a bit of a lost leader for their um, broadband service. And, you know, they were trying to increase their share of the broadband market and getting into the Premier League and saying to them, if you sign up for our broadband, you can have BT Sport for free. That was kind of the the, the sort of basis of BT's entry to the market, really. Um, they seem to have found the market position that they're happy with. And the relationship with between BT and Sky, which the last time the rights came up three or four years ago, they were 
very, very frosty terms with one another, seems to have thawed considerably. They've obviously had to be round the table together talking about, you know, restart and TV and televising games in, you know, in lockdown and all those sorts of conversations. And the relationship seems much more cordial. And it almost seems as though BT has sort of settled in to its position in the market and isn't necessarily looking to to erode more and more of Sky's power base in terms of Premier League games. It's almost like BT are kind of happy to stamp out with where they are. Now, that, I think, is a problem for the Premier League because part of what was driving the inflation was the fear from Sky that BT were going to come for more packages. And if, if the relationship is such now that BT are happy with where they're at, I, I think that, that reduces the likelihood of Sky outbidding themselves, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Now, there is the point that, that Khan's already made, which is a really good one, which is about, well, what about the, what about the new disruptors in the market, the, the Amazons and possibly the YouTubes and, and people like that? You know, Netflix, have they got any interest in, in getting into the sports market? Um, there are lots of sort of subscription models out there. I think that the question is, is anyone willing to do a bigger investment than what Amazon did last time, which was very much a test the market, test the model? Now, if Amazon feel like they've proven their concept and it's working for them and driving revenues, they could come for more of Sky's packages. And then you start, you start to give Sky an incentive to up the price. But at the moment, I have to be honest, I'm not sure I see that. And so the incentive for Sky doesn't exist because they'd be almost bidding against themselves. If they're happy to say, BT is going to have a package and we'll live with that, and Amazon's going to have a package and we'll live with that, we've still got the biggest share of the market. I don't know if there's any incentive really for Sky to drive the price up any further. And I think you have to go back to the deal that was done in, in 0405 for the last time that the overall value of a TV deal came down. Con's right that the price per unit came down slightly last time, i.e. the price per game that the, the deal was worth. But because we added a load more games to the package, the overall value went up. Well, we're getting to the point where we can't do that unless what they say is the pandemic has proven that if you put all 10 games on TV, people will watch them. And then they could offer all 10 games each weekend and try and drive the, drive the overall increase in the value that way so there you'd say okay sky have got their packages bt have got their package amazon has got their package but actually there's there's two new packages that are available for additional bidders and that might be a way of countering the the drop in unit cost uh, that we're going to see and it, it it was my defense if you remember when we had that conversation dan it was my defense of while i didn't agree with the decision the premier league had made on the, the pay-per-view games I understood it as mm. they were trying to protect their, their unit price, their price per game, because that is going to be critical when they end up in these negotiations with TV companies and, and broadcast companies and social media companies and whoever else is in the room with them. Um, I, I suspect that unless Sky are willing to offer more games, we're going to see the first time in 15 years where the overall value, not just the price per unit, the overall value of the TV deal is reduced compared to what it was last time. And if that is the case, for all those Premier League clubs, and there's been talk about Arsenal having loans and Tottenham have had a loan to try and help them with COVID, all those Premier League clubs that have been giving out these contracts on, on a budget that's sort of 
has a baseline assumption for TV money, they're going to have to do some very, very quick changes to their, their financial forecasting going forward. And that might mean we see a slowing in player wage escalation, we see a slowing, a slowing in transfer fee escalation, because it all comes back to what's the money coming in through. If it's not coming in from TV, it affects what you can spend in the transfer market, it affects what you can pay your players. Yeah, some um, very interesting insight there. All, all I have to add is my usual banality of Amazon can bid as, for as many games as they want as long as they pledge to have less Robbie Savage, less Tim Sherwood and less Steve McManaman. And if Netflix want to make a bid, then so they should. They just put my price up to nine ninety nine a month, so I want more content. Preferably. Yeah, I, I think if they get the Premier League down, they'll put your price up again. I think that's twenty nine ninety nine a month. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, I think that's an outside. And we did we did touch on this again when we talked about the pay per view games earlier in the year. Um, I think it was with Stu, wasn't it? We we had that conversation, and I think, um, you know, we have to keep an eye, and the Premier League have to keep an eye on what the overall cost for consumers is as well, because. You know, in the old days, you just signed your, your Sky Sports subscription and you had every game. And that lasted till about 15 years ago. And then there was the second player in the market, whether it's a Tanta or ESPN or eventually BT. Um, and, and that kind of sufficed for a while. And then actually now you need an Amazon Prime as well. And, and if the more players that come into the market and you need more and more subscriptions, I think it's important that the league keeps half an eye on what the overall bill looks like. For your stay-at-home football fan who wants to see all the football all the time, um, I, I think they need to keep half an eye on that as well. Because I think if it gets to the point where it's unaffordable and people are picking and choosing which bits of that subscription they have, the next time the rights come around, the rights holders will know that. And that will lead to further, um, you know, reduction in the unit cost. So it, it's a really difficult balancing act for the Premier League. They're in a situation where clubs are financially struggling anyway because of COVID. And, and it's probably the most important negotiation. And I don't, I don't think this is um, hyperbole. I think it's the most important negotiation the Premier League has entered into. Since, since the very first TV deal in 1991, 92, yeah, for the 92-93 season, but but negotiated in 1991 and 92, yeah, I do. I think it is the most important negotiation they've done since then. I think that's I, completely I, fair. Sorry, Carl. No, no, I think I think you're right. But what I was also going to say is the other thing to throw in the mix is it's it's different people doing the negotiations this time as well because it's not Richard Scudamore anymore. Um, uh, you know, no, the. It's Richard Masters, so another Richard, um, <laughs> got to replace him. Uh, and also, you know, I think it was also announced that, um, you know, Sky now as well um, have, a, you know, a new chief exec. So they're going to be different people around the table as well. Um, so it'll also be a bit of a test of their negotiation skills as well. Um, as really good sort of out on top. Really good point. You know, Richard Scudamore had been through numerous rounds of this. He knew it like the back of his hand. Um, equally, the the team, the Murdoch team at Sky have been through this numerous times. It's going to be Comcast on one side of the table and, and uh, Richard Masters and, and his yeah. team at the Premier League on the other side of the table. And, you know, it will be a different dynamic. And, uh, uh, yeah, as we found out with negotiations that this country may or may not have been partaking in over the last <laughs> four years, uh, the personalities involved matter. Um, mm, are, you saying, yeah. are you saying we've not got an oven-ready TV deal? 
I think it needs. I, I think it needs to go in the microwave a little bit for the for the foreseeable Dan. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, for, for 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 the light we're making of it, it, it I think you, you you're both quite right. How things have changed between you know who's doing the negotiating, and it's the what we're negotiating now, because t- TV companies are going to look at the last six months and think you know like well did did we really get the bang for our buck out of that last season. Of the Premier League, yeah, and yeah. they're entitled to say, "Well, well, no, playing games in front of empty stadiums, which it's not anybody's fault, but you know, like, it, it's it's a fact of the matter that the spectacle has been harmed, and as any multi-billion-pound company will do, they're likely to try and claw that back in the next round of negotiations." Yeah, yeah and that's and fair, really fair point as well, Dan. Yeah, and and I think just just to touch on something that Paul mentioned around, you know, will they just put? You know, will they just make all games available? I think the the difficulty for for all sides on this is obviously we are in the most uncertain times we've been in through any of the previous negotiations as well. And you know, obviously at the moment, probably those all those games have been watched a decent amount because people can't go to the grounds for one, so you can't have anyone in there, uh, and also yeah. no one there's nothing else to do, so you've got that double whammy. But obviously, in you know, inverted commas, normal life, um, which hopefully will appear at some point in the next twelve months, which is going to be the period of which this deal will be valid for, you know, that yeah. won't necessarily be the case. So they kind of have to, you know, try and sort of figure out what does that future next four years look like? Is it going to be more like, you know, the normal like last four years, or is it going to be like the last twelve months, which has been, you know, sort of, uh, you know, complete chaos? Um, and what the next few months looks like as well. So someone's going to have to do, there's going to be a bit of sort of bet hedging uh, on, on one side or the other, or possibly on both, that I think will form, you know, part of that negotiation as well. I think I think what you're uh, sort of summarising, you, your point down, Con is while you may have an audience for Brighton versus Burnley now, <laughs> you won't necessarily have an, an audience for Brighton versus Burnley in two years' time. And so the Premier League trying to yeah. offer that as it's, as it's kind of um, concession to the TV companies, while well, you can televise every game, if you're the if you're the chief exec of Comcast, you'll say actually Brighton and Burnley, you can keep that one. And again, <laughs> you know, I don't want to wind up Brighton and Burnley fans, but that's always my go-to game. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I think it is. Yeah, it's it's there's so many moving parts. It's going to be fascinating, and I know there might be people listening to the podcast who are like, can we talk about football? Why are you talking about? television contracts and I'm just, I'm just not interested in that but fundamentally this could change the way the next five years of the Premier League looks it really could and it's uh, you know the, the sort of dominance the Premier League has had financially in European football for the last 15 years is, is at risk if this negotiation goes in, in the wrong direction um, and so the days when Premier League clubs can pretty much go and afford to cherry pick players from all but the sort of two or three super clubs in Europe. That 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 will change if if the if the deal doesn't work. So it may seem a bit dry, and it may seem like we're talking about you know commercial stuff that's not about football on the pitch. But um, but I think it does matter. Well, it massively affects the the product on the pitch because if if the TV money gets pulled, then you know like we're, we're not going to be. Um too far we'll be getting Paul Mason back from the, from the Ipswich days that's the kind of of player we'll be we'll be having again I'm completely massively over exaggerating the 
And like Bon Boncho Gwenchev. Yeah, yeah, Boncho Gwenchev. Uh, I think the other, and um, we've talked about this on a previous podcast as well, Dan. Would it, when you align that with the Brexit changes, would we see a big reduction in in the number of sort of foreign players that are coming into the Premier League? It, it you know, because the money. If the money is no longer as as significant a, a, a driving factor for people from Germany and Spain and France and Italy, and you've got the the harsher, tougher uh, rules on EU nationals coming into the UK, does that swing the Premier League back towards using more homegrown players? It's it's there's so many, as we say, there's so many things here that are, are all interconnected that are going to shape the next next five ten years of the Premier League, and it's um. I think you know it, it's it might not be who who played the best game on Saturday, but it's it's equally important about about the way that football goes forward. Yeah, I, th- I think the other thing is you know I think we've all you know heard the phrase around you know fo- football's eating itself or the Premier League's eating itself or whatever, and we 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 always knew there was a bit of a bubble, um, and we all know what happens to bubbles at some point, right? So you know maybe that is what we're going to see now. Whether that's an instant sort of pinprick explosion or whether that's just a glad, gradual withering down over years we'll, we'll have to wait and see and maybe these negotiations will determine the pace of that but I don't know if this is necessarily should be a huge shock either um, you know maybe this has been coming um, and might be slightly exacerbated by a pandemic potentially but I don't think the principle of it you know I don't the price wasn't ever going to keep going up and up and up forever and ever mm. you know it just doesn't work like that in any industry so it, it perhaps isn't actually that you know the maybe the it perhaps won't be the, the biggest shock if you know and obviously we'll wait and see what actually comes out of it but you know if it is that that sort of headline reduction um you know in the overall cost um then actually yeah maybe that is just a sign that actually the the, the you know we've reached the peak and we're starting to sort of trend trend down a bit which i think perhaps some people have, have maybe maybe thought it's good been coming for a while um and it's worth saying that football football didn't have that economic downturn impact that so many other industries had at the start of the last decade when we had the financial crash that didn't cause a sort of leveling out of of tv deals for football um and and so Football hasn't really had a sort of, um, you know, rebalancing for a long time on these TV deals, probably since that sort of mid-noughties point, which was around the ITV digital collapse and, and, and all those things we've talked about previously. Um, you know, it, it, it may be that you're absolutely right, Con. There's, there's something that's a bit overdue here and, the, and COVID's just shone a light on it in a, in a, in a starker, starker way. Yeah, um for for all our viewers, I would like to apologise for the COVID and TV deal heavy nature of it's been a bit. It's been a bit. Um, there's been some dominancy by those topics, <laughs> um, and I've already brought Tim Sherwood up, so I had to give a dominancy digging. Right. Well, the, we've had some very intense and and, and heavy subjects there, but. I think it's a part of football that gets missed too often. You know, like it's all well and good as having the laugh about Martin Keown doing the Stone Cold Stunner on Ruvan Nistelrooy and laughing at Amazon's pundits, but it's it's a very serious time for the game. Um, we're in unprecedented times, and and as you, as you just said, Paul, you know something like it seemed to me as though when everyone else was having that crash in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight time, you know that that was when transfer fees seem to go out of control and um, you know, obviously we've got the 
they're not all transfers are obscene as the Neymar one from a few years ago, but it, maybe it is time for for a bit of a correction. I mean, from from my point of view, I, I just hope that there's a common sense approach to these negotiations, because um, as we've already said, it's they're essentially important for football. Um, <laughs> before we make people want to, we make people feel upset. Is there any any other business that we've got in? In hand, I mean, the the only thing I wanted to say is that I saw one of the worst penalties for ages in the Lincoln against Peterborough game, which was uh, Saturday afternoon. It, was a, it didn't quite go orbital, but it was a very poor penalty from the Lincoln player. I've, I've not seen that one, Dan, so obviously I've not caught that, that viral tweet. Um, but I, I do enjoy a good penalty fail. Yeah, it's not it's not Charlie Adam or Sergio Ramos or Yapstam at the Hero two thousand semi final levels, but it was it was a shocker. It it, it was it, it was as high and wide as um, Kevin De Bruyne used against Liverpool was was wide. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't a great pen. I think my my only additional reflection, Dan, is to anybody who sat through, and I didn't, but I did watch the highlights the next day. Anyone who sat through the Arsenal Newcastle FA Cup game on um, Saturday, which was not an instant classic, <laughs> gets the opportunity to do it all over again a week tonight when they're the Monday night football. So um, if you're a glutton for punishment, next Monday evening, eight o'clock, Sky Sports, Arsenal versus Newcastle take two. You know I'll be might there. score this time. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, that's just what Newcastle do. Uh, Steve Bruce unashamedly goes that way that that's that's how he, he plays he, he sets up for those kind of results and had that been a league game then yeah he would have had a very credit creditable um no no draw mm-hmm. and uh mr tierney had a shocker waving his red card around was it mr tierney i thought it was wasn't it chris kavanagh oh sorry it was mr kavanagh yeah i mean i think it was mr kavanagh but it but it was it's um it was. Uh, we should touch on it because we spend a lot of time talking about where VAR doesn't work, and it certainly did work. But... And it did on the on the uh, Emil Smith Rowe sending off on um, Saturday, which is, to be honest, Dan, I'm not even sure when I've seen it back. It's a yellow card. No, I mean, um, I think he downgraded it to a yellow to sort of save face a little bit rather than just rescind it completely. Uh, but that was an example of where you know, the technology did work really well because it clearly wasn't a sending off. Um, and uh, and they managed to overturn it and get the right decision after all. So, um, yeah, a rare a rare day when we say something positive about VAR. Well, what, what, what I will say is apologies to Mr. Tierney, but whatever he's doing, he'll have been doing something rubbish as well. <laughs> You're such a big fan of the referees, Dan. Well, you know, you, you've got the, the, the elite panel of referees and... They're certainly elite at something. It's not been very good referees. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I digress. Sorry, Khan, I've, I've intercepted you there. Sorry, I wasn't wasn't going to say anything, Dan. Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I'm just I'm sat there being facetious and frantically checking to make sure that Mr. Tierney wasn't in charge of the Liverpool game because I genuinely can't remember who was. Oh, well, Mr. Parson, of course. Yeah, Craig Parson. Yeah, another one. Another. Not, not another. great. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, right, well, we, we've spent so much time on business, we don't have um, any much spare time to talk about. You know, we've got no other other business to talk about. Um, really interesting discussion, that, gents, and yeah, I'm, I'm aware it might seem 
quite dry to some people, but it's all really important stuff. Um, please don't forget you can catch the Big Football Podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, on Podbean and on CastBox. Um, we are available in all the major places that you would want to listen. Uh, please give us a subscribe and we'll catch you all again next week for some hopefully more light-hearted football chat.